the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Ministry of the Week Sunday message. It's a pleasure to be with you again this afternoon. This is Dave Naderhood, and it is my joy every week to highlight different things that God is doing around the Bay by shining a spotlight into little churches, big churches, uh, little ministries alongside, and uh, sometimes um, folks who have done something that makes an unique impact, and uh, that's been the case this past week with the Minister of the Week interviews. I had opportunity to talk with pastor and author Ron Chin about his latest book, Waiting on God in a High-Speed Culture. And Pastor Ron was kind enough to join us in studio today. Ron, thanks for being with us on the Ministry of the Week. Oh, thank you, Dave. You know, when we got to know each other a little bit, both in the interviews and outside of it, uh, I had to confess to you, uh, this is a tough one for me. I had to uh, admit that even the title of the book scares me a little bit because I am not an extremely patient person. And I would usually at this point insert a joke about how I gave up praying for patience because I know what God does when you pray for patience he gives you more reasons to wait (laughs) and so um, I am that guy who will uh, will look at the cars ahead of me and see 15 cars in this lane at the stoplight and only three over there and I wonder why are all those people waiting in that middle lane when I can duck over here to the right and, and get ahead of that line right And goodness knows, I probably have saved at least, I don't know, 30 seconds on my commute (laughs) by rushing around the way that I do. So I know this is something that I need to practice more. And I know that it's hard for me. And I'm wondering if anybody else who's listening today can admit that this is hard for us uh, in our society, in our culture, or maybe even just... Because we're human, uh, let's not blame our culture. Let's just admit, in my humanity, I want to control my future. I want to rush into what's next. And I certainly don't want to wait around uh, for God to show me what's next. So, Ron, it was a real joy to, to see how God has shaped you through the process of waiting. And I'm wondering, if you don't mind, could you, for those who may have missed some of the uh, interviews, um, and by the way, um, for anyone who did who would like to hear those interview segments, you can find them on our website, kfax.com. Just go to the Ministries tab there under the Ministry of the Week, and you'll be able to uh, hear the entire archive of those conversations. But, Ron, could you recap just a little bit of your journey and how you got to the place where you're writing a book about waiting on God? Okay, well, basically God had called me out of the high-tech world. Um, I got laid off, and I went on a mission trip to Africa, which was so impactful to to me. Mm -hmm. So I ended up leaving the high-tech world, and I went into ministry. I served for six years, almost six years in San Francisco as an associate pastor. And I I left that position, and I believe that God had something else for me. But it's been over four years of waiting now. And... It's not like I haven't been trying to find a position. It just seems like God will close the door. And I truly believe that God has 
put me in this position to help me to learn something. Mm. And, you know, I've read the stories in the Bible about Abraham waiting for an heir, about David waiting to be king, about Job waiting for healing. And, you know, I don't really think I could really understand that fully until I went through this period of, of waiting. And so it's given me a deeper insight about what those biblical characters went through and what God does in those waiting periods. Mm. You know, that was what jumped out to me about the book was the fact that these biblical characters, uh, we often hear about the patience of Job. And, um, and, and I usually, in my head, go, oh, no, Lord God, you know, I know Job's story. I don't need that kind of patience. Uh, but in the in in the times in my life where God has taken things away, uh, you're right. I had to really come to rely that okay, I am His beloved child, and there is nothing that can change that. And so, can I rest in that? And usually, when I'm honest, the answer is no. I don't rest easily in that because I'm scampering around. Like if, if I picture myself in the palm of God's hand, I'm trying to run to the edge of it and trying to tell His hand where to take me. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and you deal with some of that in the book as well. How it was, uh, it was a challenge. It wasn't easy. Uh, tell us more about like where those challenges uh, arose. Well, one of the chapters in the book is about rejection. Mm-hmm. And so there are stages along the way where the door gets closed and those feelings of rejection come up. It's like, And I had to learn how to deal with that. I mean, I think it's something that all of us need to learn how to deal with, but some of us deal with it better than others. Right? Right. So, um, you know, looking at competition, feeling like oh, I'm sitting here doing nothing and there's people out there doing all this stuff. And... It's hard to trust in God when, you know, basically you see all this activity going on, people moving forward, and you, you can fall into comparison, which I, I wrote a devotion about that in my book also. Mm. So there's all these issues that kind of come up, identity issues, um, trust, having hope. So I have different devotions about each of those topics in the book, along with um, instances in my life where I've waited on God and God has done something in my life. I waited a long time to get married and I have a chapter in in the book about waiting for a wife. Mm. I waited to buy a house <laughs> when the housing market was going crazy in like 2006, 2007. Right. I didn't think I'd be able to buy a house, but the market crashed and I was able to buy a house. So I have different stories about how um, God had me wait for certain things and then he would do something in my life. You know, what comes to my mind, too, is the fact that there's a difference between waiting and uh, there's a perception almost that anybody who is waiting intentionally, well, they must be, uh, what's the pejorative terms that we use now, uh, slothful or a slacker. I think the slacker generation, right? So I want to make sure everybody is aware that the person I'm speaking with has two advanced, a degree from Stanford, a degree from Berkeley. Uh, This is not someone who is waiting around in his parents' basement playing video games. This is an (laughs) author, an accomplished pastor, and somebody who, because God called him into a season of waiting, he responded actively uh, that this didn't come easily. You're not you're not some contemplative uh, guru. You were a high tech businessman who then entered 
the fast-paced world of doing ministry and along the way had to see, okay, I am a human being, not a human doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ron, I have a lot to learn from this book. I'll just tell you, one of the devotions that jumped out to me was Waiting for God's Justice. Uh, do you mind if I read a little bit? Sure, from go that? ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is devotion number 45. And as uh, Ron shared earlier this week, it's a collection of 52 devotionals takes about five minutes to go through these. I'm just going to read a a portion of it. Waiting for God's justice. One of the most difficult types of waiting occurs when a person is thrown into unfavorable and difficult circumstances because of the wrongful actions of others. Perhaps the person was seen as a threat or got in the way of someone's unethical plans and as a result was mistreated and suffered some kind of loss. In the Old Testament, David knew this type of situation very well. God had chosen David to be the future king, and David provided faithful service to the king who was in power, Saul. But Saul began to be unstable due to an evil spirit and his own insecurities. Saul became jealous of David and tried to kill him. While Saul lived in a luxurious palace, David lived for many years either on the run from Saul or in exile. David survived these extremely difficult circumstances and as an old man wrote Psalm 37, which provides guidance for such situations. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their evil ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Wow. Psalm 37. And and your reflection on that, what a powerful one paragraph summary of the injustice David endured. Uh, I don't know if others have had situations like this where maybe it's just somebody at the office who's talking behind your back and putting you down in a in a way that uh, you know you don't deserve. Or uh, maybe you're a student and uh, you're just not treated fairly by a teacher or um, whatever the situation. I hope that that Psalm and that reflection, that meditation, uh, meant something to you. I know it meant a lot to me. So, Ron, uh, thank you for for these devotions. And um, before we go further, I want to let folks know if you've just joined us. I'm talking to pastor and author Ron Chin. His book, his new book, is called "Waiting on God in a High Speed Culture: 52 Devotions for Spiritual Growth in a Technology Driven Society." And you can find it on Amazon. You can also look up Ron's uh, information on Facebook, Ron Chin. And again, the book is Waiting on God in a High-Speed Culture. Pastor Ron, is there some things from the book that stood out for you as uh, either here's something I need to continue working on or, or one that, that you'd like to share with, uh, with us before we hear the message today? Well, there's one devotion called Times of Waiting are Often Times of Training. Mm. And so God is doing things in our waiting time. And 
I actually examined, you, you just read about Saul and David, but there's another uh, little snippet from that story, which is in this particular devotion. And if you think about Saul, he basically got thrown into be, being king. He didn't have any training time. Right. And even though he received the Holy Spirit, he got thrown into being to be king, and he really wasn't prepared for it. Or you think about David, he got anointed by Samuel, but then he went on, he went back to being a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And so when the time came where he had to face Goliath, he says to Saul, you know, I have been out shepherding the flocks, right. and I have killed a bear and a lion. And I thought about that. It's like, wow, you know, I don't think he had any like weapons or anything like that. He just struck the bear and the lion. Mm -hmm. And that was God's training for David to learn to trust in God, that he had a, you know, he had God's spirit in him. Mm -hmm. And so when it came time for him to face Goliath, it really wasn't that big of a deal for David because he had killed the bear and the lion. And so, you know, God used that time of waiting, you know, Samuel had anointed him to be king, but God also divinely allowed him to have this time of waiting, mm-hmm. and it was a time of training. Mm-hmm. And in my own life, it's been kind of interesting, and I preached about three times a month during my time when I was a pastor in San Francisco. So over a period of almost six years, I was preaching a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never really considered myself to be a very good public speaker. And since I left that position, it's been over four years. I think I've preached five times during that period of time. Mm. But somehow, divinely, I've gotten better. My wife has told me, you know what, you've gotten, you've gotten better speaking. And I'm like, well, how did that happen? You know, mm. I haven't had a whole lot of practice. But I think it's just something God has done in me. And it's, it's not something that I could, like, muster up. It's just that during this time of waiting, God has done that in my life. And you know, I'm thankful for that, and God has done other things. Yeah. But a lot of times, you know, we think we need to go out and do this, do this, do this. Right. Sometimes God will just do things through his divine power, mm. and we just need to receive it. And I'm just so thankful, again, that God inspired you to, to bring your season of waiting to, to fruition, in a way. This is part of the fruit of that waiting, is to have a book that can help guide so many other people because we're all driven by this in uh, in so many different ways ron before we go to hear your message i'm going to ask you to pray in just a moment to prepare our hearts to hear that uh, but is there anything that you'd like to share in terms of what how our audience uh oh first of all uh, remind folks uh, how they can get in touch and 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 get uh get a copy of the book and and let them know too i know you are still looking for a ministry position Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as you look for that, you know, it may be that somebody who's listening today says, hey, our church is actually looking for a pastor. So we want to say, hallelujah, the weight is producing more fruit. So if you want to get in touch with Ron and find out about his uh, his ministry credentials and what he's available to do, or maybe you'd like him to come and speak uh, to your church or to a retreat setting about how to wait for God or what does it mean to wait on God. Uh, I know he would love to hear from you about that. So, Ron, what's a good way for people to get in touch? Well, I am on Facebook, and so you can find me on Facebook. There's also a page on Facebook for the book, Waiting on God in High-Speed Culture. 
If you'd like to purchase a book, it's available in both paper book and ebook formats on Amazon. So you can find it on Amazon. So tell us briefly the message we're about to hear. It's from Isaiah 9, right? And then uh, would you just have a word of prayer after you introduce it? Okay. So I did this sermon at Centerville Presbyterian Church in Fremont, and the church was going through a series called The Story, which is a chronological walk through the Bible. So as I was assigned to preach on the birth of Jesus, and because the pastor had already spoke about the birth of Jesus during Christmas time, he told me, I'll give you some leeway. You can have some creativity to your message. So uh, the title of my message is The Significance of Jesus' Birth in a Technology Birthing Area. Mm. And so it really kind of ties together Jesus and what the birth of Jesus means h- here for us in Silicon Valley. Amazing. And well, uh, as we get ready to hear that, would you mind just leading us in a prayer that God would prepare our hearts? Sure, Dave. Thank you. Father God, we come before you now and we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to us. When we were lost, when we were broken, and in some cases without hope, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to us, Lord. And so God, as... um, We look at your word from the book of Isaiah about the birth of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would make that real to us, even in the society where things are going so fast and things um, are very technological and busy. God, I pray, Lord, that you would make um, Jesus' birth real to us and understand the significance that it has for us today. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, Pastor and author Ron Chin has been with us on the Ministry of the Week. His new book, once again, Waiting on God in a High-Speed Culture. You can find it at Amazon or look him up on Facebook, uh, and I know he'd love to connect with you. Ron, thanks so much for being with us, and we look forward to hearing uh, this message from Isaiah chapter 9. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you having me. Stay tuned after the message. We'll have some wrap-up information. Well, good morning. I'm honored to be with you this morning. And I want to start my message today by telling you a little bit about how I got called into ministry. In 2001, I was living here in Fremont, and I owned a house. And a friend of my pastor's um, came to stay with me. He was a retired man. Uh, from the UK. He was a retired pastor. His name was Bill. So he came to stay at my house and he preached on a Sunday morning. So one Sunday morning I was just sitting out in the congregation just like you are this morning. And Bill was talking about his mission trips to a country in Africa called Malawi. And as he was talking about it, I sat there and I thought, it would be kind of cool to go on a mission trip to Malawi. So the next morning, I get up and uh, I drive to work. I worked in Pleasanton at that time, and I worked for a high-tech startup company. Wireless was just coming, uh, becoming big, so I worked for the startup wireless company. And I went to work. I went to my desk, and I tried to log into my computer, and I couldn't log in. And I was kind of confused. And then my, my manager called me on the phone and said she wanted to talk to me. So I went to my talked to my manager and she told me that the company was having a layoff and I had lost my job. 
And I had only worked there for like three or four months, so it was quite surprising to me. So after I got over that shock, I started thinking like, well, maybe God wants me to go to Malawi. And so I talked to Bill. Bill was still staying with me, and he said, I'm going to Malawi in about three months. And so I had never been on a mission trip at this point in my life, but I prayed about it, and I felt like God wanted me to go. So three months later, I flew to the U.K., and I met Bill, and there was a few other people, and we, we went to Malawi. Now, in case you don't know where Malawi is, it's kind of in the southern part of Africa. You see that thin red strip there? That's Malawi. Malawi is famous because the famous missionary, Dr. Livingstone, actually went to that area of Africa when he, he was a missionary. So I went to Malawi, and um, we went around to different places, and we did ministry there. So here's a picture of me in one of the churches in Malawi, and I, and I met a really cool pastor there. His name is Booker Banda. He's kind of like an apostle in Malawi. He's planted over 100 churches and so we had an opportunity to minister in many places, and it was just a tremendous blessing. I saw God do so much there. Now, if you can imagine a place in the world that's like polar opposite from Silicon Valley, it's Malawi. Okay? <laughs> Malawi has a very slow pace of life. It's one of the least developed countries in the world. They have problems with malaria, with AIDS, and with food shortages. Now, despite this, I found that the people there were actually very friendly. And the nickname of the country is the Warm Heart of Africa. And I just felt like when I went there, when we went to different places, people embraced us. And I remember when we would drive around in Booker's pickup truck and go to different places. As we drive down the road, people would just wave to us as we're driving down the road. You know, that's not something that we do here, right? And... I remember when I came back after that trip, I'm driving on a residential street here in Fremont. I'm driving like 25 miles an hour, just kind of normal. And this guy behind me got really impatient. He honked his horn at me. He blew past me and was like, get out of my way. And so I'm like, you know, I think maybe, maybe I should go back to Malawi. <laughs> Things are a little easier to deal with. Um, but one of the things that happened to me in Malawi is that God really showed me a part of myself I didn't, didn't really like too much. And, you know, I've always been kind of a, a high achiever. I was very well educated. And God showed me that I'm a really a driven person. And I saw all, all these people, how friendly they are. They didn't have much stuff, but they were just very friendly and nice. And I'm like, what's wrong, what's wrong with me? I'm always trying to achieve and do more things. And so... Um, after the trip, I really felt a sense of calling from God to leave my career in high tech and go into ministry. So it took a while for that to happen. But in 2004, I ended up selling my house in Fremont and I moved, I moved and I became an intern in a church for a year. And then eventually I got a position as an associate pastor at a church in San Francisco. And I served there for almost six years. And during that period of time, I married my wife, Jill, who also uh, was here in Fremont. And so she moved to San Bruno with me. And, um, but eventually I left the church and we decided to move back to Fremont in 2013. So basically I was gone for about nine years. And as we came back to Fremont... 
I noticed that Fremont has changed a tremendous amount in the time that I was gone. Right? The traffic has gotten a lot worse. You probably all notice. The housing prices have gone through the roof. Right? When I was working in high tech, Fremont used to be the place where you would go to get affordable housing. Right? But now, Jill and I rent a townhouse in Irvington. We walk around our neighborhood, and the house is there. There are small three-bedroom houses, and they go for over $700,000. And that is not affordable. (laughs) That's pretty ridiculous. And then the demographics have changed tremendously in Fremont because there's a lot of uh, people who have come from Asia to work here in Silicon Valley, so our demographics in Fremont have changed a lot. And then also our schools Our schools have become very high-achieving schools, especially in Mission San Jose, Irvington District. So things have changed a tremendous amount in Fremont. And I was thinking about what has caused all these changes. And I've concluded that a major factor in all these changes is that Fremont is now part of Silicon Valley. I, I think historically we haven't thought about Fremont as being part of Silicon Valley, but now I think it is. And there was a study in 2012 that showed that Fremont has the largest number of high-tech startups per capita in the United States. So we are birthing a lot of new technology. Okay, so that's an introduction to the sermon. So we are going through a, a book called The Story right now. And we've gone through the entire Old Testament and we're into the New Testament now. And so what's the first thing that happens in the New Testament? It's another, it's a birth. It's the birth of Jesus. And so the title of my sermon today is The Significance of Jesus' Birth in a Technology Birthing Area. Okay. Now, I want to say up front that this is not an anti-technology message. Okay. I appreciate technology. I'm sure many, many people here have benefited in some way from technology uh, through education or medical technology or communications. So, you know, there are a lot of benefits to technology. And the technology industry has created a lot of jobs. I worked in high tech for many years and I benefited from having a job in high tech. And also, God is a creative God. Think about Genesis. God created the earth, created us people and so when people are creative in accordance with God's values then it's a good thing okay so again this is not an anti-technology method message so we're going to look at a passage from Isaiah which actually is in the Old Testament but Isaiah is prophesying about the birth of Jesus so we're going to look at Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 this morning so I'm going to read this So this is what Isaiah wrote. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful uh, first day of March. And God, we pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us and speak to us, Lord. And God, show us more about who Jesus is and make Jesus more real to us this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the birth of Jesus was very unique. From the day of its birth to all throughout eternity, it had a great impact. It was something very special. And we're going to look at the four names that Isaiah calls Jesus in this passage. And we're going to go through that. And hopefully that will give us a better understanding of who Jesus is. Okay, the first one is Wonderful Counselor. Now, literally, this means a wonder of a counselor. And the Greek word that is translated into wonder is the closest word in the language to supernatural. So if you think about this, this is really saying this person has a wisdom that is far above a normal human. He's a wonder of a counselor. Now, we live in an area in which there's a lot of smart smart people. Right? We live in a highly educated society. A lot of people come here because they work in tech and they're really smart. And on top of that, we have the Internet now. And you can do Google searches and you can get information and knowledge about lots of things. And I think people sometimes feel like they always need to like, be cutting edge and catch up and know everything. And so sometimes people fall into that competition and feel like they need to know everything. Well, as I came to know God and grew as a Christian, I began to realize that God's wisdom is far above my own wisdom. Even though I could, you know, I was very good in school and could figure things out, you know, God's wisdom is so much higher. And sometimes when I'm struggling with some problem in my life, like unemployment or dealing with some difficult relationship or something like that, I will try to figure it out. But God has to remind me that, you know what, you don't have to figure everything out. Because there is a wonder of a counselor that's available to you. And sometimes you just need to wait for the wisdom of God to to be shown to, to you. So again, Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. Second one is mighty God. Now here's a picture of Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. Now... It may be a little bit hard for us to fathom that this baby is mighty God. It may not make that much logical sense to us. So here's a way I'm going to try to explain it to you. Here's five, five really giant high-tech companies. Okay, here's, there's Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Dell, some of the giants in technology. Let me ask you a question. What do these five companies all have in common? They started in a garage. Okay? All these companies, they started in a garage. They were, had very humble beginnings. Kind of like Jesus being born in a manger. Right? Jesus had very humble beginnings, but he grew into somebody who people, later in his life, people started to recognize that he had power, that he was mighty God. And the people that received him and followed him, Jesus gave them his divine power. Now we 
live increasingly in a society in the West, especially here and in Europe, where more and more people don't believe in God. However, I think there's something in humanity where humans, we tend to look for something greater than us. Now, it could be a sports team. A lot of people really get into sports teams or a musical performance or something in nature that's really beautiful. And also technology. Some people look for the latest and greatest technology. Now, there's a psychologist named Stephanie Brown. She lives uh, or she's based in Menlo Park. And she recently wrote a book called Speed. And the premises of her, premise of, her, of her book is that many people in Silicon Valley are now addicted to speed. Now, she's not talking about the drug methamphetamine. She's talking about a fast lifestyle. And here's what she writes. While worry about speed is not a new idea, the current impact of speed in our culture is unprecedented and unforeseen. It is now causing serious damage to us as individuals and as a culture. The highest power economically, socially, and within the family, as parents and schools push for kids to do more and more in order to succeed, is now speed, moving constantly and moving fast. Fast means progress and success. Slow means failure. In, in the all-or-nothing American culture, fast means you win and slow means you lose. It's as if we have moved from driving a highway at 55 miles per hour to 65 miles per hour to 100 miles per hour. We can't slow down for the curves and we are crashing. Does that sound familiar with anybody you know in, the, in this culture? Now, Brown says that many people are addicted to speed, and people who work with people who have addictions, they'll t- tend to send them to a 12-step program. And in 12-step programs, people are encouraged to embrace a higher power. Now, I would say in Silicon Valley, we need a higher power, Jesus. Now, Jesus wants us to have a productive life, And he wants us to have purpose and meaning and to do something with our lives. However, he's also the God who says to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The next one is everlasting father. In Silicon Valley, technologies come and go. Employees move from company to company. Companies come and go. Companies buy other companies. I worked for two companies that got bought out by other companies. So as a result, there, there tends to be a lot of transition. People get laid off and are often looking for jobs. Now, about this time last year, I was finishing up some work that I was doing with Compassion Network in Fremont. And so from December to March, Compassion Network, they opened up a, a shelter for six homeless men in a church here in Fremont. And I volunteered to be a life coach to these six men. Now, before I met these men, I was a little bit worried because I didn't know if I was going to be able to relate to them well. But as I met these men, I found that three of them actually had worked in high tech before. 
one man actually knew somebody that I had worked with. Another man had worked for 20 years as a programmer for a well-known company. And a third man, he, he had been a chief financial officer for a high-tech company. But all these men were now homeless and they were unemployed. So what that reminds me is that having a good job in high-tech doesn't necessarily mean that you have security. I would say that there is a security in knowing an everlasting father who is always there for us, who cares for us and loves us. Despite the ups and downs we go through in our lives, there is an everlasting father that we can always talk to and depend on. And I would say that if you work in this valley where there's so many changes, so many ups and downs, it is very helpful to have an everlasting father who will be looking out for you and caring for you. Okay, the last one is Prince of Peace. Now, Prince corresponds to our idea of an administrator. Okay, and peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom. But shalom has a little bit of a broader meaning than just peace. There's an idea of wholeness. So I've written on this slide, administrator of uh, peace and wholeness. Okay, so that's really what's, uh, if you can imagine that Jesus is a person who's going to try to bring in his peace and his wholeness to people. Wholeness, when I think about wholeness, the idea is that you have well-being in different areas of your life. Okay, throughout your life, there's a sense of wholeness and, and peace and well-being. So if you are working many, many, many hours, working very hard, and maybe succeeding at your job, but your family has a lot of problems, you're emotionally and spiritually you're not doing well, then I would say you're not having shalom in your life. Or if you're working at a job and succeeding, but you feel unfulfilled and you really don't like what you're doing, then I would also say that you're lacking shalom in your life. Over the past couple of years, I've talked to people who work in Silicon Valley, and sometimes I, I feel like the person does not have shalom. There's so many deadlines, so much work to do, and people are just stressed out. And it gets harder as people get older. I've talked to people where the, their health starts get, getting affected because they're working so much. This environment of speed and success also has an impact on children. I gave my book to a youth pastor here in Fremont. He, he works at a multi-ethnic church in Fremont. And he told me that there have been so many Asian kids that come into the youth group and they start crying because they're under so much pressure and stress from trying to succeed in school. Also, recently I heard about a family and they have a kid with a little bit of a special needs issue, they actually decided they want to move out of Fremont because Fremont is so competitive now. You know, in this environment, I believe that, that we need the Prince of Peace, the administrator of Shalom, to bring wholeness and balance to our society. So in conclusion, I want to say this. Although there's some really cool technology out there, and I really like some technology. I love my iPad. So some technology is really cool. 
But it compels, all that birthing of technology, it pales in comparison with the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus was unique and extremely special. It was the most incredible birth ever when God became a human being. With the birth of Jesus, God revealed himself to humanity in a very tangible way so that we would know that we have access to a loving, everlasting father. So in, this midst, in the midst of this technological society, I encourage you to think about two questions. The first one is this. Do I serve technology or does technology serve me? I think it's a really good question to ask ourselves because we might start to slide towards serving technology if we're working so many hours for a technology company or if we're constantly on our mobile device checking emails and texts or or surfing the Internet or, or playing games or if we're constantly playing video games, then we might be starting to slide towards serving technology. If a person is serving technology, then in all likelihood, the person is living in the following way. They're trying to figure everything out on their own because they have no wonderful counselor. They're, they're having speed and success as their higher power because they don't have mighty God. They're lacking a deep sense of security because they don't have an everlasting father. And they're lacking peace and shalom in one or more areas of their lives because they don't have the Prince of Peace. You know, if you're sensing any of this in your life, I would encourage you to put more emphasis on the birth of Jesus, to put technology in its proper place, and put Jesus on the throne of your life. The second question I want to ask you this morning is, how can we minister in Silicon Valley? At the beginning of this message, I talked about all the changes in Fremont. You know, so much has changed during the past decade. And we need to think about how we can minister here and bring the love of Jesus to people in this technologically fast-moving society. You know, Isaiah, he was a prophet. And he spoke into that society, a society that was in turmoil. And I believe that God is calling us, the church, to minister in the name of Jesus to this culture that needs an everlasting father, needs a wonder of a counselor, needs a mighty God, and needs an administrator who can bring in peace and shalom. Will you pray with me? Father God, sometimes we look at our society and it's a little bit overwhelming with all the changes and how fast things are moving and how many demands there are. But God, we believe that you want to minister in this place, God. You want to bring your shalom and your wholeness. And so, God, we, we pray this morning... Not only for ourselves, Lord, but our, our culture and our society. That, God, that your spirit would, would move in us and move in our society, God. 
We thank you for everything that you give to us. We thank you that you are our everlasting Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's all the time that we have for today's Ministry of the Week Sunday message. We're glad that you could join us today. And the message you just heard was by pastor and author Ron Chin. It was a message from Isaiah chapter 9. And the message was called The Significance of Jesus' Birth in a tech birthing area. And we were privileged to have Ron in studio with us talking both in the interviews as well as a little bit before the message today. If you missed any of that, we want to encourage you to go over to our website, kfax.com. Click on the Ministry of the Week link and you'll be able to hear all those messages on podcast there. And as I like to remind everybody each week, we do this Ministry of the Week to not just shine a spotlight into what great things God is doing all around the Bay, but also to get you connected and growing in a local body of believers. It's our conviction here at KFAX that we are never meant to be a replacement for the local church, but rather to be part of that connective tissue in the body of Christ so that our purpose and our goal presenting great preaching and teaching throughout the week is to supplement your faith and never to replace your participation in the church or in a local ministry. Perhaps you go to a small church and you don't have a lot of uh, outreach ministry opportunities. Perhaps you uh, have are new to the area or have been disconnected from the church for any reason at all. If you need help finding a church or a local ministry to get involved with, why don't you please contact us here at KFAX. You can get in touch with me via our website, kfax.com, and it would be our privilege to help you get connected to a church in your community. Have a great Sunday afternoon, everybody. Grace and peace to you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.